Go bump in the night, chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright, thrilled by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the nerds from the Crypt Podcast. Welcome back, boils and ghouls, and oh my gore, do we have a special episode for you tonight. I am your host, Perspective. Unfortunately, Nick and Shell can't be with us today since someone forgot to lock the crypt and they were able to escape. I still have Jason in the crypt. You might remember him from the It review. He tried to escape, but I hit him with a shovel and brought him back in. Jason, let's go ahead and remind everybody who you are. Okay, so hey, I'm Jason Gelker. I live in Austin, Texas. Um, My first, I guess, published story came out last year with Alterna Comics. It's werewolf-related called Lycanthroman in their 2016 If Anthology. And I'm currently working on a new project right now. Um, The way I got into into horror comics in was definitely uh, Joe Hill's Lock and Key. When that came out around, I guess, 2008, it really struck a chord with me. And that's why I got as interested in comics as I am today. So today we're going to be reviewing issues one and two of Blood and Gourd, published in 2015 by Dead Peasant and written by Jens Glund and D.H. Schultes, illustrated by Dave Acosta and colored by Juan Alboran. You can find Blood and Gourd online at bloodandgourd.com as well as in Comixology. We will put the links in the episode info if you want to get your bloody hands on them. We will also have an interview later on with both Jens Lund and Greg Smith, creators of Blood and Gourd issue 3. We will be looking at issues 1 and 2 in order. So let's just go ahead and jump to issue 1. So Jason, without any spoilers or too many details, what were your thoughts on issue 1? Uh, issue one was uh, fast-paced fun. Uh, right from the beginning, the story gets going, and the ball doesn't stop rolling the whole way through it. I really enjoyed this comic book. It is 52 pages long, which is longer than your standard comic book um, length. But when you get into the story, it feels way much shorter, and you get to the end so fast and you just you just feel bummed that there's not more story. Luckily, I had issue two to go ahead and satisfy that appetite. But we'll go ahead and wait till um, to talk about issue two till a little bit later in the episode. So what is Blood and Gourd all about? I'm going to go ahead and read you the synopsis right from Dead Peasant. And then we can go ahead and talk a little bit more about the comic book. It's Devil's Night in Olympia, Washington, and out in Henderson Farms, the festivities are reaching a crescendo. Young and old have gathered to pick their own pumpkins, drink hot apple cider, and partake in the usual pumpkin farm fair. However, something has awakened from deep within the fertile soil. After years of abuse and humiliation, these pumpkins are ready to pick us. You can beg, you can plead, you can scream. But these Hell's Landers are only lit with the burning desire to watch you die. So let's go ahead and talk about the characters that we meet in issue one. Were there any of them that you really enjoyed or just wanted to know more about? Uh, I, I would have to go with Kitty Henderson on that, the, uh, the owner of the farm. Um, she was interesting right from the start. They tell you a little bit about her, but obviously, you know, there's a lot more going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... When I first started reading it, it kind of sounded like she was really hating her life as a, as an owner of the farm. But quickly you find out that it's, that's not really the case. And she might know a little bit more than what she's leading on at the beginning. We were, like we said before, the, the story starts off at a nice little brisk pace and then it goes just, it just goes off the walls. It goes, it goes crazy. Things happen everywhere. Uh, what did you think of the story in, in, um, overall in issue one? Oh, they were able to keep the story um, concise. Like you understand what's going on despite just so many things happening. Like you said, every every page there's something new popping out. Yeah, and uh, you don't get a lot of the backstory. Actually, you don't get any backstory on what what is going to happen, what is happening, why it's happening. But it, but like I said before, it doesn't take long for the pumpkins to start flying and attacking people. And I actually, when I was reading this, I remembered watching uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes a long, long time ago. And I wonder if that had any inspirations uh, for this. Uh, although Attack of the Killer Tomatoes was more of a, of a comedy, uh, this is more into the horror vein. 
Yeah, this definitely feels like something that may have been com- come up with while inside of a pumpkin patch and thinking about Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> so uh, what did you think of, of the art in issue one? I liked it a lot. Um, the uh, I know there's a difference in the artist between the uh, the two issues. In the first one, I liked that it had a cartoony vibe to it. Um, the colors in it were, were fantastic. The issue was very, uh, very easy on the eyes. Yeah, and and um, I don't think I saw anything that kind of just stuck out at me as being off or anything like that. Um, I think the only one that looked a little weird is when uh, it's not really a spoiler here. When uh, there's this one character that calls everybody Turkey Neck, and, and the the one of the female characters kind of reacts to that, and I'm like, she looks kind of weird there, but I think I think that kind of just the reaction that they're going for when 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 he calls her that. But that's about it. I think that I think that's not too much to to complain about or even any at all. What did you think of the of the creatures, the monsters? I love their design, especially. Uh, I guess he's going to be the main villain in the series. He looks really cool. There's like a pumpkin head vibe to it, but also like definitely like a Sam Hain vibe. Um, I also really like the the smaller pumpkins. They looked really cool. Yeah, I'm not too sure that we get names for the the different little creatures because we have three different, at least three different creatures, right? We have yeah. the the regular pumpkins who are able to fly up in the air and attack people, and we have these little type of pumpkin goblins um, that that have vines as their body and they have the pumpkin, like a little pumpkin kind of feature on their head as their head. And then we have the main baddie, which we don't really get a lot. We kind of just see him forming in the background while everything's going off. The little tiny ones that look like goblins look really cool. Those, they were my favorite design from the book. Yeah. Cause, cause uh, I, I like the, the, the regular pumpkins, but they're, um, it doesn't look like they can do much other than just jump on people. Uh, these little ones, they can actually do stuff. And I think one of the characters says that their their little vines are like knives um, piercing them when you when they attack you. The good thing about this is that the, the humans aren't necessarily uh, helpless. A lot of them are, uh, but they react and they either react by fighting back or running away. And you see the chaos is, that's ensuing uh, depending on what they end up choosing. So this is not just like uh, they're, they're just going to sit down and take they're getting attacked by pumpkins. And as ludicrous as it sounds, they, they take it seriously. And of course, we hear we see Kitty kind of take charge of the situation. There's a lot of really cool action sequence spread out evenly through the book. So it's not all heavy in the front and a slower pace later. It's just a smooth ride all the way through. All right. So let's move on to issue number two. I'm going to go ahead and do the same thing as I did for issue one and read synopsis for you. The sinister Mr. Pleasant unleashes a massive otherworldly demon, the Gourd Father, and an old family curse is revealed. Pursued by murderous hordes of gourds of go- and goblins, Kitty and Mason team up with what's left of the survivors, but an escape from Henderson Farms proves highly unlikely. Okay, so I think we got their, the name of our... Um... Our main bad guy there is Gordfather. The Gordfather. I like yeah. it. <laughs> um, so I guess uh, I, that doesn't count as me making a pun. That that was uh, that's from the from the comic book. <laughs> You're getting away with that one. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, story. What did you think about the story here in, in issue two? Uh, this uh, this one starts off a lot more serious than the last one, and it basically held that tone the whole way through. Yeah, and this is the one where we're actually getting more of backstory as. Although we don't get a full explanation, it, it actually tells us where what happened a long time ago to um, to tell us what you know to kind of kind of lead us into what happened in issue one. So characters, uh, did did you meet any new characters in this one that you liked? So uh, in issue two, uh, a character that stuck out to me uh, was Alabaster. We see him right in the beginning. Um, He's really interesting from his design. I mean, his hands all the way, all the way up. He he looks really cool. He's eye catching, and I definitely want to learn more about him. Yeah, and hopefully we get to see more on him in issue three, which is uh, why we're doing the interview with the creators. Uh, so I kind of threw out out there ahead of time, but uh, once we bring them on, we will ask them what their plans and what their what I guess what they're willing to tell us about issue three without giving away too much. So um yeah so so issue two picks up right off where where um where the other one left off with a little bit of a prequel 
I think it mixes the, the two stories in um, very, very well. It's not as long. It's uh, this one, I believe, is only 27 pages um, from including the covers and, and all. Uh, so it's a lot shorter. But you but I think it gives you just enough of a, what is it called? It feeds you enough to, just to keep wanting more. The art is a little is different in this one. It's a little more. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, the word for this. I'm not the best art critic, but you know how this second issue looks a lot. It looks more serious than the first issue did. And then the story itself is more serious. The art isn't so like cartoony and fun. This one seems a lot darker. Yes. Yes. Yeah. This is, is a lot darker. The the tones that they use is, is just the the first one. It was during um, a lot of it was during the day. And this one is um, if you remember in the first one, there's kind of a storm coming over when everything starts. And so oh, yeah. the storms already like formed in this one. So it's a lot darker. Yeah. And it's the same colorists in both issues. But um, they they definitely brought the darker tones in this one, that, which goes along with the what's happening in the story right now. And actually, this is um, that I get ahead of myself when I talk uh, about the Godfather. This is this is the one where he actually starts to form. Right. Yeah, we actually see more of him in this one, but he does appear in the last. He's in the last ish, page of the first issue. Yeah, he went it he's already for his, me. Yeah, it ends with his little monologue. So one thing I I didn't bring up in the first first uh, talking about the first issue is the effects when the um when the victims are getting attacked by these pumpkins. I feel like they're it's very it recalls back to something like um. What would you say? Uh, like, tells them the crit back in the day, where it's very gore, gore-like. It's very, um, it, it's not PG. Yeah, by any means. <laughs> so yeah, so and and I I I like that. I don't I don't like when when they um, when comic book artists or creators try to censor themselves or try to hold back. I do like that they went all out and it's it's crazy. A lot of things that happen here are is, is very crazy. And um, but it, it's very I don't know how to say it. It's 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 a good good tone. It's a good um, good art, good story. Um, like I said before, it just keeps you wanting more. Yeah, I would um, definitely am waiting for issue three. This is something I want to continue reading. Well, uh, we didn't want to go ahead and, and spoil anything in this little um, first part of here with a, our review, our overlook of the. Um, of the first two issues. So um, we'll see what, what a lens and Greg want to talk about and what they might want to let out of the first two issues since they have been out for uh, the first issue has been out for two years, at least uh, this other one has been out for at least a year. So we'll see what they want to release on those two. And then we'll see what information they want to give us on the, um, the next issue. So um, let's go ahead and uh, patch them in. And we'll, um, the next thing you'll hear is us talking with Jens and Greg. Okay, guys, so we're back here with uh, both Jens Lund and uh, Greg Smith, who will be um, talking to us about the uh, next issue of Blood and Gourd. Uh, but before we get into that, we just want to have them um, introduce themselves and, and tell us a little bit more about themselves. Uh, Jens? Um, my name's uh, Jens or Jens, whatever you, whatever you prefer. Uh, <laughs> um, I am the writer-creator of Blood and Gourd. Um, it's a comic about pumpkins taking over uh, Washington State. Um, I've been working on it for a long time now. Um, I'm a huge horror fan. Um, I don't know. Pretty boring human being, actually. <laughs> How about you, Greg? Uh, my name is Greg Smith. I, uh, um, let's see. I, I write uh, Gene and Brazy the Apocalypse uh, primarily, and I, I was a fan of Blood and Gourd uh, first and foremost. Uh, um, meeting Jens uh, at a show and getting the book um, and and reading reading issue one and then uh, jumping into issue two uh, and then when when he approached and, and was like hey would you be interested in uh, in in uh, bashing our heads together and I was like what dude seriously yes uh, <laughs> we're ahead here um, you know <laughs> and both uh, coming hailing from the uh, uh, the northwest and uh, and having ties to the area in which the book is is primarily set, um, it was it was a no brainer for me to be interested to want and just want to be involved because it was like this is this is like where we grew up, dude. This is <laughs> and where where our brains are at. 
So uh, we actually did review something that Greg was a part of already with uh, the Monsters and Other Scary um, Blank <laughs> anthology. Um, you guys, are, you guys aren't going to swear because <laughs> you're not going to like me if you don't just start swearing now. Oh, no. Um, that's fine for, for you. That's fine for you. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I'll tell you later why. Because um, once I, It's like I cannot swear. If once I start swearing, I can't stop. I'm just warning you right now. It, Oh, that's exactly the same with myself. So, <laughs> so well, it's so, there a square star in your room right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's more like it's more like a, a vault already. So, um, so yeah. So, uh, so Jens, uh, how, how did you um, come up with the idea of Blood and Gourd? Well, um, I got to give credit to my old uh, partner too, um, uh, uh, D. H. Schultes. We met. Uh, in uh, college, uh, our master's programs, and uh, we both had an interest in uh, in old school horror movies like uh, not, you know Night of the Creeps, The Return of the Living Dead, um, Reanimator, that kind of stuff. And then also, uh, he really appreciated John Waters the way I did. So we wanted to make something that was like this beautiful love child of of like uh, 50s horror comics. Uh, 80s horror, 70s and 80s horror movies, I should say, because uh, that's a big part of it as well. I love the um, Dario Argento, you know, uh, Suspiria type of stuff and in, in uh, Deep Red and stuff. Uh, but we wanted to just kind of capture the essence of all this stuff that that really made our childhood really special. And um, at the time, um, this is like 2010. There wasn't a lot of that going on. In fact, there was a lot of torture porn kind of stuff, you know. Saw was really popular um, and that kind of thing. And uh, and, the, and The Walking Dead, which, you know, was a great series, but it was just so bleak. It was just so bleak. We wanted to bring the fun back. We wanted it to be scary and fun and all those things kind of wrapped into one. I do like that. And even though this story is a, is a real hectic, really hectic right off the bat, but there's also some jokes and some humor with, going along with it. Um, I don't remember the name of the of the uh, the older man, the one that calls everybody turkey neck. Oh, yeah, Vernon. <laughs> Vernon, there you go. Yeah, uh, I, I I like that guy. Uh, just his his uh, way to get away from getting attacked by the pumpkins. It uh, kind of reminded me. I don't know if uh, you remember the Mummy with Brendan Fraser, uh, his uh, brother, where he decides to act like he's a zombie, or whatever, to get away with it. Kind of kind of reminded remind me oh, of that. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I actually uh, said is that it kind of reminded me of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, uh, <laughs> except that Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is more of a comedy than than anything, right. and, and this one's way more in, in horror. Yeah, there's definitely some of that. But, you know, one of the things we set out to do as well, um, I think you can take any crazy concept and make it work um, as long as the characters believe that their life is in danger. And we never mm -hmm. wanted to do that Sharknado nod, wink at the camera stuff. We want everybody in this comic to care about survival. And um, I think that's why Blood and Gourd stands out. It's, it, you know, at first, you know, you are thinking it's Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but there's some nuances to it. One of the things I like to use as an example is Shaun of the Dead. One of the mm -hmm. funniest, most hysterical uh, movies and one of the best horror movies I've ever seen. Edgar Wright is a genius and he knows that emotion and character development, all that stuff is, is just as significant. You know, he doesn't, it's not a, a parody thing. It's a serious horror movie that just happens to be really funny too, which mm -hmm. is what I love about the return of the living dead as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Greg, uh, you already kind of talked to us a little bit about uh, what you liked about Blood and Gore. Is there anything you wouldn't want to add uh, as far as uh, issues one or two? Well, you, you touch on the you touch on the uh, the the kind of comparison to Killer Tomatoes, but one of the other things too is like that drew that drew me into uh, the style of of the books one and two was that also it's it's one of those one of those things where when you're when you're looking at comedy uh, if you're watching a, a good comedy. Um, the the writing and the acting is very frenetic and very fast moving the uh the way that it's done is in a way that the, the actors and the and, and the people who are creating it are doing it in such a serious manner uh like jen said the the stakes are very high in, in so, something like Shaun of the dead or in blood and gourd where the characters are they're they're trying to run for their lives they're trying to keep themselves safe uh and but they're the, the use of comedy is there, but it's not, it's not hitting you over the head and it's not turning and winking. It's one of those things where it's, it's taken so seriously that when you do get it, you're like, Oh wow. Because as a, 
as somebody who's reading the book and, and was a fan of this at first, I, I was like reading it and I'm like, I reread it a couple of times. Like, Oh man, I missed it because I was, I was, I was so caught up in the pacing. Um, you're, you're flipping through the panels, you're enjoying the art, you're enjoying everything. I mean, take it in uh, a second or third time. You're like, Oh wow. I totally got that. I, I, I got that reference or I picked that up <laughs> that subtle, that subtle note uh, because it was, it was such a serious hit um, as they move through because it is such a fast moving book. And it does move so, so quick. Um, it's kind of like comparatively, like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good movies out there that, that do that. And um, they're very like, they're, they're noted for being like such a, a classic in the sense of like, um, uh, like, you know, like Shaun of the Dead or like, uh, like Clue, um, just the pacing, the way that it, it moves through. And it's just like, oh, wow, you know, it's it, everything hits and it just hits. So you can watch it over and over again, or you can read it over and over again. I love the reference to Clue. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's 52 pages, right? And you get to the end, like, way too fast. And uh, you just see the to be continued. I'm like, no, I have to. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Um, uh, you know, I was trying to go with the Ramon song formula, you know, two yes. minutes, two seconds. You know, you want people wanting more. And I feel like too often uh, – I don't know. People want to tell you everything. It's one of the things I hate about a lot of comic book movies and, you know, mm-hmm. origin story, origin story. What I love is when you kind of just thrown into it to try to figure out what, what the world you're in, you know, which is what I like about uh, the issue number two is that it is more of a backstory, but you don't get uh, you don't get beat over the head with the backstory. And it kind of mi- mixes in well with the continuation of issue one. Yeah, in fact, you know, I, you know, we struggled for a while, like, okay, so we did, we have that, that opening, which, you know, gives you a little bit of a flashback, which we're really proud of. I think it turned out really great. Um, but we had dialogue initially, and it was just hokey, because anytime, you know, you go back in time to like the 1800s or something, it's just going to look sort of goofy, it's going to read sort of goofy. So then we just kept thinking, how do we, how do we capture, how do we, because I kept looking at the panels going, this is creepy. I don't want dialogue to take the creepiness away. So then, you know, it just started coming up. Nah, there'll be like some weird, weird ass poem to go with it. And I, and I think it worked, you know, really well. It's, it's so good. Uh, I like that, that, that that was brought up and I don't know. um, Do you guys know that uh, there's, there's a, I don't know, Jen, should I tell him, should I tell him your secret? (laughs) Secret? Which one? I have a ton of secrets. I know you have a ton of secrets. (laughs) That, that there's a recording of this. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Dude, it is beautiful. He plays guitar. He sings this. It is it is amazing. Um, he shared it with me. Uh, is this something that's available on YouTube or something like that, or? Maybe. <laughs> no, it's 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 something I. Okay, because to get that tone right too, what I'll do is I'll often write. You know, one of the things I love about John Carpenter, too, is that he, he composes music for his stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do the same thing. Um, and that actually is a song, that opening. And uh, I don't know, it's something I recorded on my phone. If you guys are interested, I could I could uh, I could send it to you. I can um, I can use that as part of the intro. OK. <laughs> so, uh, we, or, you know, what? Uh, or if if uh, anything like that, if um, if you want to, I would say use that as part of one of your levels in, in Kickstarter. Like, hey, you get this if you. Uh, <laughs> you get me singing it to my iPhone. Woo. Yeah. 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 Like, that's that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it takes to get the money, right? There you go. Um, I would I would pay for it. It's it's really it's a really good song. It's really good. It's that it's, is kind of how we do the pacing, though. Um, you're you're going to see that in issue three too. Um, we've got a little song that we alluded to in issue one that we really play up to great effect in issue three as well, which is really fun. So is uh, is there anything that you want to just a uh, preview that you don't without giving away too much of uh, about issue three? Well, what do you guys want to know about issue three? What can we find out without um, getting uh, killed or something? You know. <laughs> <laughs> You don't want the Gordlings to come get you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, that, okay, that we were trying to figure out, like, what are these thing, little things called? And I was, we were calling them the, the pumpkin goblins or something like that. Ooh, I like that, too. Yeah, no, we've <laughs> been calling them the Gordlings. No, the Gordlings are this, the small ones with the vine arms and legs, not the flying pumpkins. Right. You know, we, we, we were big fans of Alien and, and stuff like that, too. So we thought, you know, we don't uh, want this to uh-huh. just be, oh, I'm a killer pumpkin man. It's like, let's create this elaborate thing where you know there's like uh there's different parts to the evolution of, of the pumpkin creatures 
Yes. The Gordlings we... are my favorite design in the book, by the way. I love them. Cool, cool. <laughs> we put a lot of time into that, into the developing the monsters. We wanted them to all look unique. Yeah, I do I like do like that there's more than just one and one more than one type. And one when you said something that um that someone said that they reminded you of them of um creep uh, creep show. It reminds me of that. What's it? The the lonely death of of Vern. Uh, what's his name? Oh, lonely uh, death of Jody Verrill. Jody, oh. uh, where where Stephen King's um covered up in all that that green stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I yeah, love that. There's there's just one um panel or one uh, section here where the guys like the vines are attacking him and it's like melting his face off. And I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, man, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's there's actually pretty deep lore to the story you, you can see and we didn't want to beat people over the head with it but it's there if you want to look for it there's yeah. a ton of stuff going on behind the yeah. scenes and just the whole thing with mr pleasant and what his agenda is yeah that's something i, I want to know more like how did he come around if uh you know it's uh some clearly someone different right uh in back in the day or at least from what we think i don't know maybe something that we find out in, in issue three that ties them together um so yeah so um what what are what is it something that we can know um on on issue three that won't give away too much of the story won't give away too much of the surprises hmm let's see if you like the imagery from books one and two uh i think there's going to be more of that that's that's not too giving but that's also very uh uh rewarding in a sense if you're if you like that the like what you just said about that the um the creep show pacing too i think jen's was very much like we got to keep this uh a little on the same level but also uh amp it in some spots so we worked we we i think he was how many how many times did you you rework a couple of things until you felt just about right? I think. Oh yeah, no, I'm OCD and I'll be reworking stuff probably till you know everything's drawn and ready to go. Yeah. Um, I I can't help it. It's just that's part of the fun for me. Um, what we'll do is you know I'll write some dialogue and then I'll send it over to the artists and then they'll do their thing and go through the whole process and then sometimes you know the artist is his own person of course so he'll draw it the way you know, whatever's coming through his brain as well. And sometimes the way it's drawn is going to change the dialogue. It's just not going to flow the same way. So that's when I come back and sometimes I'll rewrite the dialogue because I feel like, well, they're doing this in this, this panel, you know, it would better reflect that maybe if they said this instead. And then I, in being a, you know, songwriter, I make sure that there's a certain uh, flow, you know, yeah. when you go through the whole thing, that's what I aim for anyway. You can definitely tell that you take your time and then, you know, I guess tweak the dialogue after you see the art for it. Uh, for example, there's a panel in issue one, I believe, where there's four people talking and it's not confusing whatsoever. I've seen that not executed nearly as well many times. Cool. I appreciate that. Well, even in even in comics like with Marvel and DC, sometimes when there's a lot of dialogue going on, it, it's kind of hard to follow which, you know, which bubble you're supposed to be reading next. And I... I like Jason said, it's not it's not hard at all to to follow who speaks next and what where your eyes supposed to go from from one one um, section to the next. That that's great. That's good feedback too. In fact, um, I guess we got to give credit where credit is due. Then you better give that to J.C. Ruse, who is who's lettered the first two uh, books, and he's done an excellent job considering he's um, you know he's from Spain too, and English isn't even his first language, so that can be kind of challenging sometimes having him letter. <laughs> but uh, you know he he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And uh, I, Jason actually pointed this out to me. I didn't I hadn't noticed uh, there was a different uh, artist from uh, issue one to issue two. Yes. Yes. In fact, you know, one of the things that that we're really proud about with Blood and Gord is it's a very professional book. Everybody who did the art and stuff. I mean, they're all people in the industry. Um, Juan and Ramirez did both covers uh, for issue one and issue number two. But uh, Dave Acosta did the actual panels uh, in issue one. And then Juan and Ramirez also did the panels in issue two. Oh, okay, okay. Cool. Yeah, we, we, well, something we had brought up was that in you can tell that there's a different artist for the for the panels in uh, in issue one and two, but each one of them went with the story. One of them was a little bit more bright before the because there's a storm coming over, right? When is it's all starting, mm-hmm. and then in issue two, it's a lot darker, a lot it feels a lot more crisp, crisp, and it, it just feels 
it feels so good. And there's some there's something that I don't like with uh, other comic books is where the artists change and you can tell there's a difference. I, mm-hmm. I don't think you can really tell that uh, you can tell there's a difference. But it's not like blatant that where where you were like, what what happened? What happened to the, the artist? Well, Juan um, and Ramirez will not be drawing um, the third issue, unfortunately. Um, he'll be doing maybe I mean, he'll be doing one of the variant covers. Um, so we'll we'll be doing that. But um, he uh, got really popular with Marvel Comics in the middle of doing issue. <laughs> <laughs> so who's going to be the artist on issue three? Jonas uh, Scharf. Okay. Do you know who that is? I don't, but I'll look him up. He right now he's doing a lot of stuff for Boom. He's doing he just did the War for the Planet of the Apes adaptation. Oh, oh okay. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean he's 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 a big deal. He did Sons of Anarchy, he did the comic of that. Um he's a, just a super sweet guy too. I already absolutely love this guy. You can tell cuz you know at first I sent him some stuff and I said would you be interested and um you know, I, a lot of artists, I, I overwhelm them with like the lore and like, here's kind of what I had in mind. And cause I do some drawing myself, like I'll come up with concepts and sketches for monsters and stuff. And it's like, yeah, here's kind of what I had in mind for this thing and stuff. And sometimes they're like, dude, I just want you to give me the script and get the fuck out of my way and let me, <laughs> you know, draw it. And I just, I don't really work like that. I mean, I try not to be a pain in the ass, but I, you know, I have a vision and I've, you know, I've, I've taxed my marriage and my career and so many other things doing this. I want to make sure that I like it when it's done, you know? Mm-hmm. So. He's yeah. been cool. He's been cool the whole time. One of the things that that uh, that I applaud Jens for and uh, drew me uh, drew me into the into the project was that like his his ability to really pull together fantastic creative teams, uh, really good good folks, uh, and his ability to uh, really just like you know he's he he wants to make sure it's a team really you know so everybody's kind of working on everything he's he's getting a lot of involvement in this and then you know just just making sure that we all we're all paged up you know we're all this is where we're at so where are we going yeah it's kind of like making a movie more than making a comic book in some ways <laughs> so uh, let's uh i guess let's go back in in, in time here how did you end up starting with uh working with comics or or creatures or whatever. How, how did it all start for you? Um, for me, it started with the with the script. I mean, I've been writing film scripts for a while now. Um, nothing that you know really came of anything, but I've always wanted to make movies. And um, when I started working on the uh, Blood and Gore script with Schultes, um, we started to figure out right away that there was no way in hell that we were going to be able to make this movie. So that just gave us that incentive to go. Well, hey, you know what might be easier? Let's make a comic book. That sounds simple enough. And I didn't know anything about the comic industry, man. In fact, when I was looking for artists, I was looking for people on DeviantArt, and I was like emailing like people who were famous, and I didn't even know it. And they were really, they're, they're really sweet about it too. They're like, hey, you know, you know, best of luck with you, man. You know, I, I hope you're the best. Maybe maybe we'll see you down, you know, down the road or whatever. But it was kind of cool. It's like I kind of came into the industry naive. You know, I was into comics when I was a kid, but I hadn't really touched them for years. I mean, I would get interested in some Walking Dead stuff from time to time, and uh, you know, I was into Preacher in the '90s and stuff like that. But you know, and Swamp Thing, man, love Swamp Thing. Anyway. So I would go through these phases off and on with comics, but I never knew really what was going on. I didn't have my finger on the pulse of it. So my ignorance kind of helped me forge ahead. It just wouldn't have happened any other way. I didn't know about the process itself. And uh, what year was this uh, happening? Um, Okay, so the script was probably about good to go, about 2011. And then we started looking for an artist. And then we went through a long process and then, you know, we work with some local artists and stuff like that. Um, gosh. And then we did a, uh, we did a, our first Kickstarter, which was an absolute failure. And, uh, God, that was brutal. That was like one of the darkest times of my life was, you know, to put all my eggs in this basket, all this hype behind it. And then it failed. And, uh, uh yeah, that was demoralizing. And well, I want I want anybody who's ever done this to know that failure is such an important part of the process, man. It humbles you. It makes you realize that what you're doing, if you still want to do it after you get your ass handed to you, is important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really important. So, you know, we we, we failed that first one. Then uh, did an Indiegogo one. Um, our artist bailed on us right when that launched. Um, but then, lo and behold, Dave Acosta 
he's responsible for so much of this because he got us involved with Juan Albron, who's a big shot uh, anchor with uh, DC now. And he's still a really good friend of mine. And through him, I met Frank Gamboa. If you think both the two comics look similar to each other, I really give a lot of that credit to the colorist, Frank Gamboa. Because I told him I wanted it to taste like Halloween candy visually. <laughs> I wanted it to have like a Tales from the Crypt, you know, 50s vibe. Um, and he he knocked it out of the park. Fran is so absolutely essential, I believe, to Blood and Gord and how good it looks. So then I learned that you needed to hire a letterer and all this other stuff too. And uh, I did everything wrong. And yet still the first issue turned out to be really good. It, I mean, as much as a cliche as it sounds when you say you need to fall to get back up and learn, I, I've, everyone that I've talked to, um, well, let, let's say going back to the uh, interview I, we had on the podcast with Russell, he said the <laughs> exact same thing. You're going to fail. You're going to have a lot more fails than, than, than success. But, you know, you as long as you learn from those those failures, um, you're going to come out better. Definitely. It, it's so true. Like I, I go to um, I speak at junior highs and stuff like that. And uh, and and I tell I talk to kids at libraries and I tell them that, like, that's one of the things you're if you're going to do anything creative, you're going to have to learn to fail. And I get like a like a huge hush and dirty looks from parents and teachers and stuff like that. But I'm like, if I didn't fail as much as I've done in my life, I would never be where I am. I wouldn't be standing in front of you as a class. I wouldn't be standing in front of you as a library or whatever. I wouldn't be asked to be here if I wouldn't for all the failures in my life. So if, if I, if, if you, if you don't prepare yourself for that, <laughs> you're not going to succeed. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, um, are you still? Yeah, yeah, no, go. I was just going to bring up, um, you know, I've only recently discovered just how amazing Larry David is and how much of a spirit animal he is to me. <laughs> and no, no joke, man. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Kurt Cobain or John Lennon. I'd be happy being Larry David. He's got he's got a great thing going, man. He's a brilliant guy. He's a great writer. Um, but, you know, I, I recently found out about his backstory and how, uh, geez, man, he didn't start to succeed until way later in his life. Mm -hmm. And even when he was a writer for SNL, he only had one of his skits ever actually put on the air. Only oh, one. Wow. One. Yeah. Yeah. Only one. And then he still was living in the Lower East Side, you know, shitty apartment, all that stuff. Um, but he was friends with Jerry Seinfeld. And when Jerry Seinfeld got his television deal, he went, hey, Larry David's a hilarious guy. I want him to be one of my writers. When, when Seinfeld ended, he left with like $500 million. Curb gives him like $50 million a season. It's just, it goes to show, man, that you never know. And it's really important that people understand this, man. You're never going to hear that shit on social media. You're never going to hear these, a lot of these big shots now tell you, it's like, dude, I almost killed myself over this stuff. And I don't mean to be dark or bleak. I'm just saying, if it matters to you, it, you're going to go to some dark places and you have to be ready for that. And, you, and that's when I need friends like Greg, you know, that's when I need people like that. I mean, that's another thing that Greg's been for me. And, you know, we've been that for each other is just to yeah. be that support because he's 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 uh, doing his like, hustle he's trying to do his comic too you know yeah i i understand that I, even with this to with be this, there and yeah go ahead go ahead greg i was gonna say like i mean you you, you definitely need to have like your team your team for your for whatever you're doing but they have to be there i mean you gotta know that they're there for you um on the daily as well i mean like jen's been there through uh, through all of this, like, I, and I know that when we when we started setting up this interview months ago about stuff uh, and talking, uh, my mom to the hospital. My mom, my mom passed away in this time, and Jen's been there for me. He's talked me through a lot of stuff, and he's and he's been a tremendous rock. Um, and uh, and we put a lot of stuff on hold, and uh, that was like, um, I know setbacks uh definitely put projects back and i put stuff uh, a lot of things that i was working on um back burner life comes life <laughs> life kind of just like hits you in the face sometimes and uh and jens and i have been there for each other through a lot of these things because it's been uh it's been a roller coaster for for both of us you know uh when you're when you're creating something and then when when life comes in and uh you know you need somebody to to talk to um, he's picking me up uh, some days. I'm picking him up some days and listening to what's going on, and uh, and we're both we're both each other sounding board a lot of times. And it's it's and and that's what that's that's what creative teams do. That's what that's what creative partners do. 
<laughs> not not someone just to be the yes man or just to criticize all the time. You need to be able to have someone who not only is going to help you out, but be there for you when you need it. And uh, someone that is going to um, tell you when you need to hear something. Yeah. You got to take the hat off. You got to wear you, uh, you come into you come into anything wearing like 20 different hats. Uh, one day, one day we're writing. So we're wearing a writing hat. One day we're wearing our social media hat. One day we're just wearing our friend hat and we're, we don't, we, we, we're like, Hey dude, we're going to talk about this. And we, we end up talking about life for like what an hour. <laughs> yeah. Easy. Yeah. Cause the toll it takes on your family too is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, doing this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I mean, my wife has been, uh, really patient and there's, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. And that's the thing with me. I mean, I don't know, maybe that makes me a better writer. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I'm very brutally honest about my life and what I've been through. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that this has been taxing on my marriage at times because, it's, you know, it's a lot. It, it, there's so many easier things I could be doing with my life <laughs> than trying to knock this stuff out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of uh, know what you're, what you're talking about. Like, yeah, even when I was setting up this interview for this week, I told you, I goes, I think everything's good. I got to go, go ahead and make sure uh, everything's okay with my wife that I can do this on the weekend. Uh, but no, I, I, I understand completely. Um, so um, do you have any other uh, works or anything else in the, on the pipeline or anything like that? Um, um, yeah, I do. Um, I'll start, and then, Greg, you can tell them what you're working on, too. <laughs> um, I'm doing uh, – I've got a short story called Mouths to Feed, which is pretty fun. Uh, really, really weird, even by my – you know, for me. Um, but it's a short story, and it's being done by a friend of mine. He's drawn that up. Um, and then I've been working on this epic story for years called Traces and Gnomes, which might end up being my first novel. I don't know. It'd be a great adaptation as a comic, too. But um, ever since I was a kid, I've been obsessed with gnomes and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, I really want to make – it's about uh, gnomes on cats fighting little trolls on rats. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to go read that, right? That sounds good. Yeah, I'm into that. And it, and it takes place during the Black Plague. So um, I'm really happy about where that's going. But, I mean, I still don't know how close that is. So um, where uh, we talk a little bit about Junior Braves of the Apocalypse is the, um, the main book that I uh, that I write. Uh, it's a book series and uh, book two should be coming out. Um, we're wrapping on on art on that and then it should go into production and be out sometime in the 2018. So we actually we actually had uh, our friend Jake ask about that. Like, hey, ask, oh, yeah. him, ask him when the next one's coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Everybody's asking, like, when's that coming out? Oh, what? It's either when's that coming out or what happened to uh, there? There's a there. there they want to know about uh, uh, a couple characters and stuff like that. And it's like, OK, well, you have to wait till next book. <laughs> yeah, the next book will come out uh, in in 2018. Uh, follow for uh, uh, that amazing toy or Gina Braves uh, 65 for for more details on that. Um, you talked about uh, monsters and other scary shit. I'll say the word. I'll say the word. Um, uh, the uh, um, that actually I just got a couple boxes of that the other day. So it's shipping and people should be getting their their copies from Russell if they haven't. Uh, it looks amazing. Yeah, th- thank you. I, I'm I'm so so happy to be part of uh, part of that anthology. Uh, some amazing creators. I've never been part of something so huge. Uh, 30 plus creative teams all working together um, and producing something. Uh, just the quality that he put together and the team that he put together was was pretty pretty amazing. Um, I'm working on another project with him and uh, another another large team. Um, I think uh, it's uh, I'm not sure if he announced it or not yet, so I don't know um, if, I, if I can talk about it. <laughs> so I'll just leave that at uh, another anthology from from Russell. Um, oh, he kind of alluded to it and kind of did like a soft announcement, but I don't okay. know if he's gone out. And um, if you want to say it, and then I can bleep it out if um, if I'll, I'll ask him if, he, if that's OK. Uh, Cthulhu is hard to spell. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, so uh, working on a on another another story with uh, the artist Misha Dare. Um, so I worked on two stories with her in his previous anthology, and I'll be working on another story with her. Um, it's a very child centric story, so more more in line with kids stuff, but definitely horror based. So 
Um, as you can see, my roots are definitely horror, horror stories. Uh, <laughs> like, um, I, I kind of, I kind of would like to be, uh, the, uh, in the vein of like my, my favorite, my favorite child writers, uh, Arl Stein, uh, Christopher Pike, uh, that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, those are, those are the upcoming things. I got another, another thing in the, in the hopper, but I can't talk about it yet. Hopefully someday. <laughs> so. Is there a time frame for when the Kickstarter for issue three is supposed to start? Uh, you know, that's uh Jens? Yes. Um, I'm thinking that um, if everything, we get all our uh, pumpkins in a row, we're going to hopefully <laughs> try to get this thing going um, October 15th. Oh, okay. And you can, you can, you can edit that out if, if we fail maybe, but that's the plan. Um, I've got my artists lined up. I've got uh, some great cover art, hopefully coming down the pike in the next couple of days. So, a lot of a lot of talk about different, uh, really exciting tiers for people that we think they're gonna like, um, that we think they're gonna really, really want to be a part of, um, even if it's at low dollar values or even at the high dollar values to get into the book and to be a part of the experience of Blood and Gord, because who doesn't want to? be part of something so epic an epic epic <laughs> bless your heart but yeah, yeah no. no um real fast too i mean i feel like we completely i never answered your question about anything we can tell you about issue number three and um i just want to say that um maybe we can run down some of the characters you can expect to see in it oh yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> all right well i don't know um yes you're gonna see a little bit of kitty in this one. Oh yeah um, do you guys remember Sasha? Yes. Is she the, the little girl that got taken into the uh, into the house or to the lair? Yeah, bratty little girl. Yeah. She, <laughs> um, we're going to start to show that she's got a pretty major part to play in the story. So we're excited about that. Major there's some, part, 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 part. There's some weird <laughs> stuff in that greenhouse, man. <laughs> it's, it's like one of the most That's evil places on her. So. Freaking Good stuff. And then um, we're going to see more of Vernon and Calvin. See what the hell happened to them when they ran into the woods. <laughs> yep. Turk and Irk. I don't know if you all saw this, but I used the hashtag Turk and Irk as one. <laughs> oh, great. Yes, we got to get that trending. <laughs> it's <laughs> Turkey Neck. <laughs> yeah, Vernon's great because he kind of represents a lot of people that we have to deal with, right? He is that guy who you're like, he's kind of a racist asshole, but – you know, you still they're still in the world, and hopefully, maybe he'll grow as a person too by the time it's all done. It's like in a hot tub time machine. He's kind of an a hole, but he's our a hole. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I that's that's another thing too is you'll start to see how um uh the story like the the character the character triangles start to build up. Uh, you'll you they've been building through the the previous story arcs, but mm-hmm. you'll really start to see how the, the characters. Um, develop and and as Jen said, will hopefully grow. Yeah. So it's 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 a nice. I think I think a lot of people will be hopefully pleasantly pleased. Mister pleasantly pleased. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. But uh, the oh, I want, oh, I can't spoil it. I'm so excited though because I love this. I love these panels. I love the I love the idea of these panels. Yeah, it's dark too. It's gonna be darker um, than even the oh, second one. A little bit more humor, you. maybe, but it's still gonna be really, really dark. Let me ask you this: uh, Is the unicorn? It seems to be talking to the to the. I forgot his little the name of the of the boy. Is Mason. that gonna go anywhere? Or is that just is that just his imagination? <laughs> like I'm gonna tell you that, man. <laughs> Come on. Oh well, I. I I think I that kind of helps answer answer though the question. <laughs> uh, Mason and his unicorn are a significant part of the story, and okay. uh, more of that will be revealed later for sure. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Um, well, so yeah, um, a lot of characters, you know, a lot of characters doing their own things. Um, trying to keep track of all of it, not make it too, uh, you know, just too densely packed with people. But yeah, can we expect more different types of uh, creatures? Yes, mm-hmm. that's a big part of the whole thing is, you know, we want to introduce new monsters and stuff. In fact, I'm going to tell you a little break this down. So what's going to happen with the next issue is um, that's going to be the second to the last of, a, of the first kind of axe arc 
And then uh, the second arc is going to introduce a lot of other things. And then usually by the by the third act, it's all going to come together um, and it'll start to make sense. Uh, but you're going to see that there's there's a lot more at stake. There's a lot of other characters and uh, organizations that are going to also start to get more wrapped up in this. Because if you think about it, Mr. Pleasant kidnapped a CEO and a whole board. Mm-hmm. You know, that's going to stir a lot of stuff up. That's going to affect the world economy. That's going to do all kinds. Seminole is like Monsanto, right? It's a major corporation. You can't just kidnap all of like the board members of Monsanto without there being huge consequences, you know, financially across the universe, interdimensionally. It's going to be crazy. I think what Jens is getting at is the farm is a really great setting, but it's not the only place in our world. <laughs> so, so that actually uh, answers there's another question I had was, is, uh, are we, are we going to have more than just three issues, uh, more than just four issues? I think that helps answer that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and we've got a long plan. I mean, the whole thing is, is plotted out. I mean, it's, you know, we, we keep it a little loose so that we can always add and make it better and keep it relevant with what's happening on in the world. I mean, if you'll notice an issue too, um, the shareholders that are around a table, I don't know if you noticed this second to the last page when they're in the greenhouse. Um, one of them has a has a little toupee thing that looks a little Trumpish. Do you realize that <laughs> this was still put in there when uh, there, we were all convinced there was no way this guy was going to be president of the United States? <laughs> yeah, and this is this is no joke. Vernon too. Vernon in one of the original drafts, he when they saw his house was going to have a, a sign that said, "Where's the birth certificate?" <laughs> <laughs> can't do that now the world's a very different place than it was in 2010 or whatever man you know it's like what the hell happened to this place <laughs> that, that's uh i'm I, i'm getting excited i i i, I want to see this already so yeah uh is there anything you guys want to add on anything that you, you think we might have uh, forgotten to ask or um talk about about either issues one two and upcoming three I think you should get excited. That's all I have to say. I mean, I'm getting excited. I'll tell you good, that. Good, good, good. There's a ton of love. I, I, maybe if anything, out of this interview, you realize that you know we're not just shitting this stuff out. I mean, it, we love it. We live this stuff. We, you know, we're we're into it. We want to make something special. I feel like we live in an age when everything is like prequels and sequels and reboots and this and and you know, I, I like Star Wars and things like that too. But you know what I I think what I loved about it so much when I was a kid is because it was new, man. You know, mm -hmm. we need new ideas. And if, if one of my contributions to new ideas is, is a, a thing about killer pumpkins, then it's going to be the best killer pumpkin thing ever. I like <laughs> it. I love it. I love it. I, um, I think when, when, uh, Greg first told us about it, he, I think he told us it was, a, it's about a, it's about a pumpkin starting or the jack-o'-lantern starting to carve us or something like that <laughs> and i'm like i'm in <laughs> cool, cool. so j that brought me in so yeah this all this that we're talking about is is really really pumping me up uh jason do you have any questions or anything that you want to go over um you guys have really covered it jens is very thorough yeah, yeah. how about a uh, non-comic book what is your favorite um monster or or um, horror icon Jeez, I don't know, man. There's so many different things out there that that could definitely be uh, um, listed. Oh boy, uh, I think one of the scariest things, uh, like just like outdated leftovers in my refrigerator. <laughs> um, uh, you know, when I was a kid, though, like, um, and I I can't remember. I think like it wasn't like not not a horror like a uh, like icon, but it like totally underrated um, flick uh, like April Fool's Day. I don't it's know what movie. it was. About. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what it was about that flick, but that movie just like it, it got me. It scared the crap out of me. It was. Like, uh, it ended up being April Fool's to the audience too. So I think. Yeah. I think that's what upset people the most, but I think it's starting to come back around and, and uh, gain, gain some traction. Oh, it's yeah, a great, yeah. I mean, the way they pulled that off, I mean, that's not an easy thing to pull off a slasher movie. That's, you know, it's kind of, I don't know. I don't <laughs> want to do spoilers. So like this got a totally like surprise that throws the whole thing on its head. It's brilliant. Yeah. 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 It was just like one of those things though. Like I watched it with my, with my uncles and stuff. And I was like, I, it just, it messed my head up, you know? <laughs> so I think that's it. <laughs> 
You know what creeps me out about that though? It it still bothers me to this day is like the first guy who his face gets like messed up with a boat. Uh Oh, I was little when I saw it and that messed me up. I mean, it did me too. I was like, I don't know. Did you guys ever go to Kinder Trauma? That is a great site, man. And Uh, it's got their whole thing is about people telling their stories of what what horror movies fucked them up when they were kids. It's good stuff. Uh, And when we're talking about the original, we're not talking about the remake, just so everybody out there knows. Good, yeah, and I, I don't know anything about the remake. There's so many remakes, I miss them all these days. I swear to God. <laughs> How about you, uh, Jens? Um, I'm trying to think. Like, you know, my earliest memories are pretty weird. Um, in fact, um, The Exorcist. I remember seeing that when I was probably four years old, and um, <laughs> I was terrified. I I was afraid that, like, when I was playing in sandboxes and stuff, that I was going to dig up that statue, and it was going <laughs> to. I'm not even kidding. And that it was going to, you know. And I remember being weirded out by the hamburger helper guy, and <laughs> I think I'm kidding, but I'm not. No. And um, I don't know. Uh, as far as horror, though, the first one that really blew my mind and made me fall in love, I, I really do think this sincerely is one of the greatest movies ever made, not just as a horror movie, but everything. I'm telling you, The Return of the Living Dead opened mm-hmm. my eyes to how amazing horror could be, how it could be funny, because when people are terrified, they're hilarious. I mean mm-hmm. – that's why, you know, they should be funny more often. But you had they, – they took the zombie thing and they twisted it up. You got Tar Man, which is the greatest fucking zombie I've ever seen in anything. You've got um, this whole, like, and you know, no trust for the government thing with, with the trioxin chemicals. And, yeah, yeah. and not only that, it got me into punk rock, man. It got me into the cramps and the damned and uh, introduced me to Rocky Erickson. Uh, who I later found out, you know, was the guy who fronted the 13th floor elevators. I mean, to me, The Return of the Living Dead is a big – it's a big fuck you to the 1980s, and I think that's what's so beautiful about it. And, and that's why, first, you know, go ahead. It's the first to coin brains. Yeah. yeah. That's where that's where that movie is what started the brains of the zombies. Yeah. That, yep. Which is another great twist that they did. They took all these things from Night of Living Dead, and they said, well, how would we twist it like the government made all this up to to change the story around, you know? And that's a great thing because, you know, you had to kill the zombies, you know, by shooting them in the brain. But that was what they changed. It's like, no, they like to eat brains. It's beautiful. And what's crazy is that uh, from what I understood, this was this started as part of a sequel to uh, to uh, Night of the Living Dead. Um, and they had some dispute and they ended up splitting up to uh, I think it was Dawn and Return of the Living Dead. Um, so. It, uh, George it, Romero were co-writers of Night of the Living Dead, yeah. and they st- started having some differences with Dawn of the Dead, and then they went their own ways for the other one. Yeah, um, John, John Russo is a nice guy. I still can't believe how bad like Children of the Living Dead is, though. I don't know what happened. Um, <laughs> must not have had a lot of money. But, I mean, he's a really nice guy. And um, I don't know. George Romero was more into this idea of the zombies becoming more self-aware, and mm-hmm. um, John Russo wasn't. And uh, which is ironic because he went and did Return of the Living Dead where the zombies are completely aware. So I, I don't know. <laughs> That's between those guys, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it sucks that they ended up having that little rift. But at the same time, you got two great movies. Exactly. And, you know, yeah. I, Day of the Dead's my least favorite of the Dead trilogy. I, I would have to say Dawn of the Dead is probably one of my favorite horror movies of all time, too. It's probably it's it's definitely up there as one of the greatest horror movies of all time. The original. I just absolutely like the way it captures the essence of like what it's like to be human and trying to survive and how shitty people can be to each other. And it's just, it's excellent. I, 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 I appreciate the walking dead, but I still think it's sort of fan fiction for Dawn of the dead. I, I can't help thinking that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's one of the things like when I w- watching those movies, the foundation is the, is the canon and, and, and knowing that and, 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 and like being like, okay, I, I want to make sure that when I, when I write other stuff, uh, I keep that in mind and I, I definitely check myself, check the um, check everything at the door and, and make sure that when I'm writing uh, uh, my other stuff, it, 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 it definitely utilizes that, that, that kind of uh, um, ideal ideology, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. cause it, it's it, all about it, people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's all about it, when it comes down to it, it definitely comes down to how people interact. You you take a look at the original Crazies or even the remake of the Crazies, and it's it's definitely like a a great look at societal breakdown and how all of a sudden it, all it takes is like one bad moment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? and and everything goes sideways. People go nuts, and you know. Um, 
people lose it. So um, I think we uh, we're going um, uh, right about an hour already. That's so okay. um, yeah, it's fun guys, to talk about horror movies, though, isn't it, man? Uh, hey, oh well, yeah. Oh well, yeah. That's, that's just, this is what the the podcast idea was. Uh, uh, like sometimes we go and we even start talking about a different movie than we were supposed to be talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it happens. So, yeah. It happens. But, yeah. uh, real fast, too, I just wanted to say too, another huge influence on Blood and Gordon was uh, not a horror movie, but kind of is RoboCop, which I still think is the greatest comic book movie ever made, even though it's not directly based on a comic. I love the world. I love mm-hmm. the cynicism. I love the dialogue. There's so many memorable lines in that movie, and I love how there's so many villains in it. It's just wall-to-wall mm-hmm. villains. Everybody in it is a villain. And uh, we definitely tried to incorporate some of that, of course, in Blood and Gourd as well. Nice, nice. Yeah, definitely not a hero movie. Definitely, I mean, it, it has a hero, but it's definitely like villain thick. <laughs> yeah, and they're all great. <laughs> so, like, it's, I'll say it again. I'm getting pumped for for issue three. I can't wait to see it. And uh, once it comes out, we'll we'll bring it up again on the podcast so we can can uh, review it. And um, and I, I think as long as they keep coming out, we'll we'll continue to review them. Cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. And if you can give us a shout out with that Kickstarter and stuff, man, we really appreciate it. All right, guys. So I want to thank both of you for coming on. Uh, thank you for the time and and um, thank you for the love of horror. Yeah. yeah. Pleasure to meet you, Jason. Pleasure to meet you, Saul. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you very much. And um, ho- hope to to um, talk to you guys again and later on in the crypt with the with the rest of the nerds. Totally. Yes. All right, guys. Well, we'll uh, go ahead and, and uh, call the episode here. Uh, we'll see you guys next time. We're actually going to be talking um, Stranger Things uh, East season one right before the release of season two. So thank you guys once again, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright. Thrilled by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the Nerds from the Crypt Podcast.